The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, coming to you from East Tennessee. Made the trip up last night with the ball game being canceled. Began our anniversary trip early, came up, had some Mexican with the bride. Uh, woke up this morning in uh, outside of Knoxville. And uh, the plan originally was to drive up today, so I would still be on the road. So instead of me recording the show last night, I'm recording for you this morning. It's, uh, I guess, about 10 o'clock back in uh, Starkville, so you should have this up around lunchtime. I want to thank everybody for their support of the show all these many years. Uh, I was looking forward to covering a baseball game last night against North Alabama. Expected State to win handily, but uh, the game gets canceled, so I packed a bag and hit the road. A little, little bummed about it, though. I mean, happy to be here, but I was looking forward to covering the ball game. Be my last one of the year at Duty Noble. Uh, I will not be there this weekend. Reminder, Dave Murray will be uh, covering in my place, so we'll still have full coverage. The rest of the crew will be there, but I will not be there. We'll be kind of keeping up with it on our phones as we're enjoying some time together uh, celebrating our 30th anniversary. So, reminder, Dave Murray will be there. I don't know if he'll do the play-by-play article the same way that I do. I will do my best to coach him through it, but we will give you full coverage. And it's a huge weekend for Mississippi State, obviously, is we try to find a way to get into postseason. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in the show, about what needs to happen. And there's a lot of people that say, hey, this is what's got to happen. We don't know. We don't know. The one thing we do know is we have to win, period. We have to win and get some help from the right teams. And who the right teams are, uh, there's a bunch of them in many respects because some series could impact the tiebreakers for Mississippi State. And so it's important to kind of understand that. Basically, the tiebreaker we're down to is, you know, record against common opponents, the highest rated common opponent. Well, that could change, right? Depends on how things go this weekend. So anybody that says they got it all figured out, they don't because there's still a lot of variables involved in this discussion. So uh, we're not going to go to full 90 minutes today because i got some things I want to do. But also, too, we don't have a game to recap, so there's not as much to talk about. Uh, one of the things we will talk about, of course, is uh, – Mississippi State picks up a big transfer, is reported by our Paul Jones, something we've been expecting for weeks. For those of you that wonder, uh, we had a, quote, commitment tweet from Zach Arnett a few weeks back now. We've been kind of sitting and waiting and anticipating the young man announcing. Well, he didn't announce. He just simply enrolled in school. That's Trevon Lee from Penn State, so that's now official. So those of you that have been kind of wondering and waiting, I've never had to wait this long in my career for a young man to announce their decision, and then he never announces. And I kind of respect it, to be quite honest with you, rather than draw attention to himself. He just said, hey, I'm going to go about my business and enroll in school. I get it. I also think, too, it's always good when you put things out there that uh, allow some juice for your future program. But all that being said, uh, not as much to talk about today, so I'm not going to sit here and kind of belabor you guys through this show and uh, push for 90 minutes, and we don't need to. So there we go. So we'll talk about what we need to talk about, and we'll get on out of here. I'm going to go enjoy uh, my day with my lovely wife. 
All right, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show. I love Bulldog Burger Company, and I have loved them longer than they have loved me, but they do love me. They do, and they love all of you. They do. You need to go by and uh, maybe add some flame to the, the uh, fuel to the flame, pardon me, in that love affair with the great restaurant quality hamburger. It's one of the fine delicacies we afford ourselves in life. You could get a hamburger almost anywhere, but you can't get a Bulldog Burger anywhere, but... Bulldog Burger. I am a big proponent of this new Mississippi Barbecue Burger. It is absolutely outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. And again, I share with you guys on Monday show, I always finish it. I rarely finish my full portion at Bulldog Burger Company because it is so expensive. I do. I do when it's the Mississippi Barbecue Burger. Go by and have that. Enjoy that. Again, that's the that's pulled pork on top of the regular hamburger with some amazing barbecue sauce. Makes you want to eat it every day. I probably could. I, my plan was to eat it yesterday, but then when the schedule changed, I said, you know what? I'll just get something on the road. And I did. Uh, but when you're on the road or perhaps on your way to Starkville, the way home from Starkville, swing by one of the three great locations that can serve you Bulldog Burger Company. That's University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They will make you and everybody around you better looking. I'm a big proponent of dessert to go. Maybe get that Shipley bread pudding, bring it with you, put it in the fridge, and when you get up at night, you've got a little bit of a sweet tooth, you can get some satisfaction there. Or maybe get that chocolate shake to go. The chocolate shake to go, that's a cool thing there too because you can ride that ride home with a smile. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right, I'm going to fuss a little bit here. I don't like what's happening in college baseball when it comes to the final week of the season. And here's the deal. I get it. Most people are still playing for something. You want to save all your arms you possibly can. Uh, You got conference tournaments coming up. You got a final big regular season finale. I get it. Okay, so let's stop scheduling midweek games. Right? It's stupid. Let me just run it down for you. Look at last night. West Carolina and Georgia canceled. Indiana State, Missouri canceled. Middle Tennessee State, Vanderbilt canceled. North Alabama, Mississippi State canceled. Jacksonville State, Auburn canceled. Austin P and Ole Miss canceled. Come on. That's, there's something wrong. You know, last year, Ole Miss cancels Arkansas State game. Had they played that game and taken the RPI hit, they might not even get in a tournament. So in hindsight, that makes perfect sense. But why do we continue to do this? And it's it's an epidemic this year. And that's the thing I look at too. Everybody's like, well, worried about RPI. Well, if that's the case, then don't schedule a game the last week of the year. Or schedule a better opponent the last weekend of the year. I mean, at this point, you're not you're trying to get innings for younger guys. I get it. Right? And, and maybe the last week of the season is too late to do that. And I know you don't want to play five games in a week during SEC play. But come on. If we're just going to, why don't we schedule the game just to cancel it? Everybody's like, well, you know, no, 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 stop doing it. And it's not fair to fans either. I mean, how many people, not, not that, let's, let's say for an example here, you're, you're not going to go book a hotel room to go up and watch the midweek game between North Alabama and Mississippi State. You're not, okay? But what about the fans from North Alabama? Now, granted, it's just a few hours away, but how many of them said, hey, I'm going to go book a room and we're going to enjoy the day in Starkville and go to the ball game. We'll get up, have a nice breakfast. Well, then, yeah. Now, that's done. 
You don't think the people of Middle Tennessee State wanted to go see them play Vanderbilt? Their parents? Indiana State, Missouri, that's not just a hop, skip, and a jump right there. So what do you do? And what about those fans? It's not right. It's not. And I understand everybody has to do what's best for their program. So just stop scheduling these games. If we're just going to cancel them, stop scheduling them. I wanted to go to the ball game, and it's not just about me, right? I mean, trust me, I'd much rather be uh, with my wife hanging out eating Mexican food uh, than just going to cover a ball game that I know Mississippi State's going to win handily. But I love doing it. But I just think about, you know, we sometimes we don't think about the ripple effect here. What does it mean for everybody else? And granted, these teams that you're playing are not in contention for anything major anyway. So why schedule them? It's dumb. There were three games played last night. Tennessee takes care of Belmont 9-5. to Much more competitive game than I think maybe people expected. 9-5, to Tennessee with the dozen hits, and uh, Belmont uh, with nine. Belmont's been a solid team, too, for their level. But uh, and this game was interesting. In the third inning, Belmont had a 4-3 lead over Tennessee. Tennessee answers. They take the lead back. It's a 5-4 ball game. And you know what happens in the fourth? Belmont ties it. And then from there, Tennessee kind of took care of business. And maybe that's why we're canceling these games, right? Maybe we're scared to lose. Because, you know, a loss would be a tremendous RPI hit. But nevertheless, uh, the fine folks at South Carolina decided to go play the ball game. And they got beat at home by Charlotte. 11-9. Nothing fluky about that. The 49ers with 15 hits in the ballgame. Out hit the Gamecocks 15-9 in their own yard. Nothing fluky about it. You know, South Carolina jumps out to a 4-0 lead here, and you think, all right, we know how this thing is going to go. That's not how it went. Charlotte comes back with two in the third, one in the fourth, cut the lead down to one. Carolina gets that run back, and then in the fifth, Charlotte takes the lead for good. Three spot in the fifth, one in the sixth. South Carolina gets a couple in the seventh. And then, just in case you were, you're curious about this thing, uh, the fine folks at Charlotte put up four in the eighth. Four. And um, Carolina with, with two in the bottom half to make it 11-9. So it's 11-7, you know, with uh, six outs to play. And Charlotte wins. And uh, good win for them. Not a good result for South Carolina. And again, maybe that's why we're canceling the games. LSU and McNeese. Did we break LSU? Well, maybe not quite. Uh, McNeese makes a game of it, though. The Tigers end up winning this thing 7-4. LSU gets out to a 3-0 lead, and then the Cowboys of Lake Chuck battle back to tie it in the third. It is a 3-3 ball game, and then the Cowboys take the lead in the sixth. Yeah. Can you imagine the tension at Alex Box Stadium after the weekend they went through with that bullpen? It's four to three Cowboys in the sixth. LSU responds. They take a lead back. It's now a 5-4 ball game, and then they put two in the eight to put the thing away. But um, you think about that for a second, seven innings into the ball game, and, and the McNeese Cowboys are a swing away from taking a ball game down there at Alex Box. Interesting, right? I'm telling you, and I may eat these words later, and if I do, it won't be the first time. There is something wrong with LSU. Absolutely wrong with LSU. 
I don't know if it's chemistry. I don't know if it's just a matter of you go out and you get all these one-year players and you try to put together an all-star team and they're just not putting it together. I don't know. But the reality of it is, is this is an LSU team that's got some holes. This is an LSU team that I don't think will play well in Omaha if they get there. If they ever get into a loser's bracket, they're in trouble. They absolutely are. Absolutely going to be in some trouble if they ever get into a loser's bracket weekend type situation. Because without Paul... Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let Nerd Wallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scoot. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink. And maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer. And you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding. Whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at Tacovas.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tacovas delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Skeens, they're a very average team. 
And again, Todd Floyd is decent. Don't get me wrong. He pitched well against Mississippi State. But um, they don't have three quality arms. They don't, period. All right, so today is Wednesday. The final regular season weekend will open up an SEC play tomorrow night. Everybody starts tomorrow because you want to give everybody a chance to get a couple days to kind of get ready for the uh, for the tournament, right? Because the tournament starts midweek next week. I hope we're there. I don't know that we will be, but I hope we're there. All right, so LSU is at Georgia. You know, we need LSU to take care of business. We do, period. And uh, we're going to get available later in the show. But, but uh, LSU, can LSU go to Georgia and sweep? Can they? Yeah. Am I confident they will? No, I'm not. All right, Florida is at Kentucky. Kentucky remains in the top 20. They, they dipped out for one week and came right back. Uh, Florida is a team that uh, kind of has quietly gone about their business and ranked number four in the country. But they're at Kentucky. I like Kentucky to at least get a game, which would give Kentucky a winning record in SEC play this year. Arkansas at Vanderbilt. That's a big series, man. It's a very big series. You know, for a lot of reasons. And, uh, you know, we talk about tiebreakers and things of all this kind of nature. You know, it's like, you know, Arkansas right now leads the SEC. But if LSU sweeps Georgia and, say, Vanderbilt sweeps Arkansas, which is possible, now all of a sudden LSU becomes the highest-ranking SEC West team. Now, Missouri and LSU didn't play, but LSU and Georgia are about to play. So if we end up in a tie with Georgia, this is kind of what I'm talking about, how convoluted this thing can be, right? If we end up in a tie with Georgia and LSU is leading the West, the, 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 most, you know, the highest common-ranked opponent, right? It could end up being LSU, depending on how things break out. Now, of course, you look at Vanderbilt. Well, Vanderbilt ends up being, you know, the highest-ranked opponent. Well, they swept Mississippi State, so it's a different scenario, right? So there's a lot to factor into this, a lot. All right, Tennessee is at South Carolina. Of course, Tennessee swept Mississippi State. South Carolina, of course, uh, State got one from them. So there's, again, a lot of, you know, there's a, you've got a rooting interest basically in every series, right? Uh, but Tennessee at South Carolina – I think Tennessee's just playing better baseball than South Carolina right now. I won't be the least bit surprised if Tennessee goes in there and gets two out of three. I won't be. Uh, A&M, of course, at Mississippi State. We're going to break down the Aggies a little bit later in the show. Missouri is at Auburn. Missouri 1-11 on the SEC road this year. Auburn is red hot. Auburn might be considered the hottest team in the Southeastern Conference right now. They take two out of three from Mississippi State, that we, and we wanted it to happen. We were really upset about it, and I'm still upset about it. We still should have won the series. Three one-run games. They then go to South Carolina, take two out of three. They have a home series at LSU. They take two out of three. And then they win two out of three last week. They sweep Ole Miss last week. So it could be the hottest team in the, in the conference against a team that is terrible on the road. So, I, honestly, I think if you're looking for a sweep, Auburn's probably more likely to get Missouri than LSU is to get Georgia. Just my opinion. Auburn's at home. Missouri's a terrible road team. LSU is kind of staggered a little bit. And, of course, LSU may come out there and hit 50 home runs this weekend. Uh, but Missouri at Auburn. And then a, a, a series that is kind of inconsequential now when it comes to the SEC uh, tournament is Ole Miss at Alabama. Alabama, of course, playing for seeding. Alabama's won two series in a row. A lot of people think that maybe Alabama's uh, interim coach should be the full-time coach. And maybe they should be. We'll see. Ole Miss officially eliminated from the SEC tournament. You can say, Steve, they can still catch us. We're not in the field. 
okay? They would have to catch Georgia or Missouri. There are four games behind them with three to play. It's not magic, it's math. There's no way that Ole Miss can make the tournament. So that, that's officially done. Can they catch us and push us into last place? They absolutely could because misery loves company. But at Ole Miss, the defending national champions, the first team officially eliminated from Hoover. And we've been there, right? We can't sit here and cast too many aspersions in their direction. We experienced the same thing last year. It's, it sucks. It really does. But the reality of it is, is that, um, you know, this is a series, too, that a lot of people, when, I, when we looked at this beginning of the year, we said, hey, this is a series that Ole Miss ought, ought to be able to take. At least it will be competitive. At least it will be able to get a game. And we thought this May schedule was going to be very, very favorable to Ole Miss. And what do they do? Uh, they lose the series to Missouri. They lose. They get swept by Auburn. And now here they are playing now what's considered a red-hot Alabama team in Tuscaloosa. That's a veteran team, too. That's a team with some seniors. That's a team that's got a lot of uh, home games under their belt. A team that was expected to be much better than they have been this year. Their final series at home in a regular season, they'll be ready to go. And I think Ole Miss is basically done. I think we all see it. I think you saw it last weekend. We, we talked about how it looked like Chris Simonis had lost the team at Mississippi State. It's pretty clear that this team at Ole Miss is, is ready to be done. And I had one of the Ole Miss uh, staffers tell me we were in Pearl. There's a possibility they could lose all eight position players. That's crazy to think about. And, and what convolutes the issue as well is if you have donors that are out on Bianco, are they going to go give a bunch of money to NIL? I would say no. So how do you rebuild that team through the portal when there is an NIL component to that? Well, yeah, it's Ole Miss, and you've got a lot, you know, there's, there's good-looking women here. It's in the South, it's a beautiful conference. You're playing in the SEC. It's a beautiful campus, excuse me. Um, so, yeah, but can you go out and get a bunch of difference makers? And then you look at what's happened at LSU – this year, and you say, well, you know, Steve, they're still a top 10 team. They are, but are they getting the proper return on their investment? That That's to be determined, but at this point, I don't know that we would agree. Maybe LSU is not the team we thought they would be. And so if you're Ole Miss, how do you get back up when you've got a coach that is now, despite the fact, winning a, won a NAFL championship last year, uh, you've got a lot of people that are off. They're out on Bianca. They're not going to vote with their checkbooks. There'll be some that will, but I don't think you're going to see some big slush fund nest egg to go try to prolong the Mike Bianco experience in Oxford. I think there are a lot of people that want him out. They can't fire him this year. Maybe they do it next year. Even though we've talked about that all year, never in the history of college baseball has somebody been fired two years removed from a national championship. I don't know that you had a situation where Bianco was already a very unpopular coach and people wanted out. He caught fire, wins a national championship, and holds a middle finger up to the world, and then you sign a contract to put you in a bad spot. At least Chris Simonis had had a handful of good, or a couple of good seasons leading into it. So you felt like you were trending in the right direction. Chris Simonis was extremely popular even prior to us winning an AFL championship. Mike Bianco was not. I would much rather be in our shoes than theirs, just to kind of put it bluntly for you. But um, I do think Alabama takes that series. And, uh, you know, looking at how things kind of impacted the uh, – again, there, there's so many variables with the standings and what could happen and impact tiebreakers. And, uh, you know, we're chasing Missouri and Georgia, right? I'm like, people are like, what happens if it's a three-team? I, I, no clue. I haven't done the math on it. But, you know, Florida right now is the um, 
is the number one team in the East and one game behind Arkansas in the race for an SEC championship. Vanderbilt, a game behind Florida. South Carolina, they're, they're basically out of it, right? Uh, because of the fact, you know, the percentage points really won't work in their favor. But uh, if South Carolina can get a sweep this weekend at Tennessee, which we don't expect, it could be interesting, right? If Florida is swept. But South Carolina is still mathematically in the race, but not realistically in the race. Uh, Kentucky 15 and 12. That'll be a big weekend. That, that'll be a split, right? So both of these teams will end up with a winning record and end the hosting discussion. Uh, Tennessee 14 and 13. Of course, a winning weekend for them means a winning SEC season for them. But the fact that they're battling to get to 500 or stay above 500 at this point in the season is probably something we didn't forecast way back in February. Missouri's 10 and 17, Georgia 10 and 17. Again, those are two teams that stayed as chasing. You don't have to catch them both, but you got to catch the right one. If you catch them both, it could be interesting. Uh, Arkansas, of course, uh, leads the SEC and leads the West 19 and 8. They're a game and a half up over LSU because of that you know, game that didn't get played with South Carolina. Uh, that's really the only race at the top uh, for the West. Auburn, of course, is uh, five games out of first place. So what they're doing is they're jockeying with Alabama and A&M for positioning and uh, trying to get the best seed possible. Everybody's trying to get those top four spots, you know, to get the uh, get some rest. But uh, Auburn, obviously, I think has the, you know, you'd say has the easier road playing at home against Missouri, but Alabama also, just a game behind Auburn playing against an Ole Miss team, which is playing out the string on the road. It'd be one thing, how are you going to fire everybody up to go win? I mean, that's the thing I, I think about Bianco's job this weekend. I mean, it's like, how difficult is it to go get this team of guys that's motivated to play on the road for a season that's ending on Saturday with a bunch of players that likely won't be here next year anyway? That's tough. And Bianco may get it done. I don't think so. But, uh, of course, A&M just behind Alabama at 12 and 13. They're kind of playing for position. They have something to play for. And that's one thing that I've read a lot, too, and uh, people, I'm not taking shots at anybody, but I see this line of thinking. You're like, well, you know, A&M's got a lot to play for. Well, not really. A&M's not going to play their way into a hosting situation. Not going to happen. Are they going to make the tournament? Yes, they're going to make the tournament probably anyway. They need to get a win to get to 13, probably need to get to 14, but this is not a team that is a shoe-in for the tournament but will likely make it or at least be in the, in the discussion because of the fact that the, the depth of the conference is so good this year. Uh, if they get swept this weekend, probably not going to make it, and we need them to get swept. But the reality of it is they had a lot more to play for last weekend at home, and then Alabama beats them by 10 on Friday and Saturday. So I don't think motivation is the issue here. I think it's talent. And there's so much of that that happens. Like, and I don't care how much you want it. You can want it all you want. If you're not talented enough to go get it, you're not going to get it. I mean, how many times have we wanted to beat Alabama in football? Had nothing to do with our want to. Had to build. Had to do with our ability to do so. And of course, Ole Miss six and twenty-one. We talked about that earlier in the year. Ole Miss could easily be a uh, twenty-loss team. Guys, they could be a twenty-four-loss team. Did you expect that? I didn't. I thought they would take a step back. I never thought it would be what we've seen. It's very dramatic. But that's, uh, that's your weekend. And, again, later in the show, we're going to talk about kind of what needs to happen and, 
you know, and, and again, there's so many variables, it's difficult to kind of nail everything down. All right, time for today's top 10 list. As always, brought to you by Close with Blair. That's Blair Chandler. Visit him at Close with Blair, C-L-O-S-E, with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair is your friend in the mortgage industry. Blair is your friend, my friend, a friend to all in, in need. Uh, many of you have thought about, hey, when is the right time to, to refinance? When is the time to buy a home? Uh, we do expect the summer real estate market to be very, you know, busy, right? And, and you need it to be, right? Many people like to make their moves in between the academic years because they don't want the kids to have to change schools mid-year. I get that. I understand that. We've had to do that in our family. Uh, that's part of the deal. But a lot of people traditionally kind of schedule it, hey, we're going to move now. i got some friends of mine down in Hattiesburg. It just, you know, hey, they just thought they'd put their house up for sale and just kind of see what the market looked like and what do you know they sold it. Now they got to go find something, right? You never know when life is going to throw you a curveball. And Blair is there to help you get off a, a nice, healthy swing. Uh, give him a call or text today on his personal cell number at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. Here's the deal, man. Blair is a closer. Top 1% close ratio in the country three consecutive years. Works for Fairway Mortgage, a, a company that is routinely voted number one in customer satisfaction with mortgage loan origination. This is the guy that gets things done. 22 years of experience. You could trust your mortgage with just about anybody. But you need to stick with a winner. A guy like Blair Chandler. Again, that's Blair Chandler at closewithblair.com. All right, so Roy hit me up. And I'm on the way up here yesterday. I was driving along and uh, wasn't sure if I was even going to tell the wife I was coming early. But um, I had to tell her the ball game was canceled. And she goes, oh, you know, I'm on the way up here. So in the middle of all that, Roy had texted me. And I'll read you his text. All it says is 1983 was an epic year. I said, do you want to do rock or pop? He said, let's just do metal. <laughs> I said, okay, give me your greatest hits. Because I like to include Roy in the discussion. I don't always use his stuff. Because like sometimes Roy will like, he'll want to like work Night Ranger in with the metal stuff. And that's just not going to work. Right? Night Ranger, good band. Don't get me wrong. I'm not hating. They weren't a metal band. I, I would venture to say they're just kind of a rock band. But we didn't do them. They're not on my list. They're on Roy's list. I mean, I think Roy probably has like a Night Ranger tattoo and and uh, Night Ranger posters in his closet that he doesn't let his wife see. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a whole thing with that. Um, but anyway, so I start thinking, looking at Roy's list, and I'm thinking, yeah, it kind of takes me back. It also made me feel really old that these albums are 40 years old. I'm not a guy that ever feels old. We talked about uh, earlier this week, uh, we did the uh, you know, Rock of 93. I didn't feel quite so old. This one made me feel old. <laughs> It did. All right, so here we go. The Rock of 83. And maybe we come back Friday with the Pop of 83 because it was a historic year in, uh, in music, especially American music. All right, number 10. It's not an American band. And this is an album, too, that was just kind of a solid one that is kind of in between there, in between album cycles. It was a, it was a good album, not a great album. But it's from a legendary band. It's ACDC's Flick of the Switch. And we're going to go with the title track. But again, the band was a little bit in transition, even though they hadn't made a lot of changes. That's not my point. But music was kind of changing a little bit. And really, ACDC at this point was not necessarily MTV friendly. 
just so you know. Even back then, there were a lot of those classic rock bands that just hadn't embraced the new medium. And then the MTV folks were not in any hurry for them to do so. They wanted what was new and hip and that sort of stuff. And so there just wasn't a lot. And so this album cycle kind of caught them in the middle of all that. Right in the, in the genesis of the MTV era, you had ACDC that some people thought, oh, well, they're just a bunch of dinosaurs. They proved not to be. They're not extinct. All right, number nine, a band that really exploded in the MTV era based on the strength of this album and how visually different they were than everybody else and the fact that they uh, employed some scantily clad uh, young ladies in their videos. But uh, it's ZZ Top's Eliminator. And we're going to go with Sharp Dressed Man. That's our one. Let Legs was a much bigger video, but Sharp Dressed Man, the better song, in my estimation. Number eight, one of their first albums without makeup. You know who I'm going with here? It's not a great Kiss album, though. It's a good Kiss album. It's not great. It's good. And we're going to go with the title track from Kiss's Lick It Up. Lick It Up. And around this time, too, uh, you know, Gene Simmons was beginning to, uh, to appear in movies in addition uh, to being a rock star. All right, number seven. This is an iconic album from an iconic group. And the fact that this is number seven on the list should tell you about what is to come. It's Dio. It's Holy Diver from Dio, number seven. And we're going to go with the title track, Holy Diver, because your armor's clean. My favorite Dio song, though, Most Days, is The Last in Line. And I like uh, Shout It Out. I like all those things. Scream and Shout. I love it, all that stuff. Uh, But Holy Diver is the Dio song. That's the one that everybody kind of references. It's been covered a few times. Killswitch Engage did a tremendous cover of that one. But the fact that Dio's Holy Diver is seven should tell you how iconic this year was in rock and roll. Number six. Many of you may not even know this. You don't even realize this. But in the middle of the Hollywood scene, when MTV was exploding, this band was not doing videos. They said they would never do videos. They weren't going to sell out. Well, they did sell out. They did do videos. And then when they did their first video, they said, this is the only one we're ever going to do. And then the Black Album came out, and they did a handful of them. But we're going back to 83, on Metal Force Records, it's Metallica's Kill Em All. Yeah, that's how far it goes back. 40 years, man. 40 years. Of course, their uh, new album is out with 72 seasons. Uh, be sure and check it out. I've had a few people tell me how outstanding it is. I haven't listened to it in its entirety yet. But uh, sounds a lot like the last couple. All right, number five. And this band, you know, I don't think there are any living members. I guess uh, Carlos Cavazos is still probably alive, but he wasn't an original member of the band. A band that was originally founded with Randy Rhodes. It's Quiet Riot. Kevin DeBrow died a few years ago. He was a guy that had a lot of addiction issues. And then, um, yeah, it's been tough. It has been. But uh, Quiet Riot, even though they did not have the staying power as their contemporaries did, they were instrumental in the early rock scene of the 80s. They were on the same level in many respects as Motley and Rat and Ozzy. You, you kind of spoke about everybody in the same vein and things just didn't work out. And, and Kevin DeBrow was a part of that too. The lead singer from Quiet Ride had a reputation as being extremely difficult to deal with. A lot of people in the music industry weren't fans and all of a sudden Quiet Riot began to fade 
They come out with Condition Critical, which was a good album. It wasn't great. A bit of a sophomore slump. They come back with QR3. And um, the song The Wild and the Young was really good. That was kind of the end of the ride, though. You know, QR3 was just okay. And they brought them back. They put a bunch of money behind them. The album just didn't sell as well as their contemporaries. And that was kind of the end of the run for Quiet Riot. But in 83, not many people were bigger than Quiet Riot with Metal Health. And this is when we were all kind of going out buying leather bracelets and things like that, our spike bracelets and denim jackets. So they kind of, they, they matched us. But we're going with the title track, Metal Health, number five. Number four, this is one of those bands, too, that kind of had a slow build in America. But once they hit, they hit and took over America. I'm talking about Def Leppard. A lot of people think High and Dry is the best, the best Def Leppard album. I don't agree. I think some of that is a hipster take. I think a lot of people just put that out there. Well, I was a fan of the band before they were ever popular. High and Dry was already, they were already making the rounds on the radio. But Pyromania is what made Def Leppard really an American sensation. Of course, Hysteria took them over the top. In my estimation, Pyromania is the best album. I love it. I absolutely do. And we're going to go with Phil Collins' amazing riff here, Photograph. That's your number four song today. Def Leppard's Photograph, number four. Number three, and some of you are probably surprised I don't have this band number one. Well, as much as I love them, I have to kind of defer that a couple other acts are bigger and are iconic and have sold more albums than Motley Crue has. So Motley Shout at the Devil, which was the album that pulled me in to this band, then I immediately went out and bought Too Fast for Love because I couldn't get enough Motley Crue. Uh, but Shout at the Devil was one of those albums for me that kind of changed everything. Not just for Motley Crue, but there was this, you know, this sinister element in music. You know, before it was, you know, girls just want to have fun, right? And, and you know, there's you know, dancing in the street and things like that. Things changed. And that, of course, got me into Ozzy and then in turn Black Sabbath and bands like that. And all of a sudden I began to realize it was a little more serious side of music. And it wasn't always as happy-go-lucky. Uh, but Shout at the Devil to me is one of those albums. To this day, it holds up even though it's 40 years old. I can put it on today and I can still listen to these songs and be uh, inspired by them. But we're going to go with one. I don't know that I've ever used this one. Usually when I refer to this album, I go with... Um, a handful of other songs. But we're going to go with the one, the video that kind of made Motley Crue mainstream. It's Too Young to Fall in Love. Number two, the aforementioned Ozzy Osbourne comes in at number two. And this is a hill that I will continue to die on. And I, I will take all comers. I am not the least bit scared to have this discussion with you or anyone else. Even Jack Osbourne himself, even though I think Jack would agree with me. It's Bark at the Moon. And we're going to go title track Bark at the Moon. I recently bought this shirt. The Jake E. Lee years were the best Ozzy years, period, period. Now you can say, but you know, Randy was a more technical player. That's true. The songs were better during the Jake E. Lee years. People are like, oh, Steve, that's not true. Most of you thought Randy Rhodes played on Bark at the Moon. Give me a break. It's true. Well, Randy Rhodes, wrote, no, Jake E. Lee wrote Bark at the Moon. Just about every song on the album, Jake E. Lee wrote. Then the Ultimate Sin album comes out, and uh, all but one song on that album, and, that, and the one, the outlier for me on that one is Thank God for the Bomb, which I think is absolutely, maybe the worst song Ozzy Osbourne ever recorded. But Ultimate Sin was also an amazing album. Shot in the Dark, Lightning Strikes, 
It's incredible. Killer of Giants. It's, it, Killer of Giants is in my Twitter bio. You, you may have wondered what that's from. That's where it's from. The Jakey Lee years were the peak Ozzy years. Ozzy Osbourne was never a bigger superstar in American music than he was at that time. Now, Jake may have built on the Randy Rhodes stuff, and Randy may be a better player. Jake's a better songwriter. And the music reflects that. So, Bark at the Moon, number two. Going title track, Bark at the Moon. And number one, you probably think, well, Steve, who could be left? There's no way there could be a band bigger than Motley Crue or Ozzy Osbourne that still left. And this is going to be a surprise for you. We're going Van Halen's 1984. You say, but Steve, it's 84. That's right, it came out in December of 83. Yeah, so it sneaks in just under the gate here. So Van Halen's 1984, the album that, they were already rolling, right? But David Lee Roth, of course, was, uh, was built to be on MTV. An incredible showman. And then we got to see Eddie regularly in our living rooms and see his incredible skill. And this album, coupled with the emergence of MTV, took Van Halen from being, you know, uh, a great American touring band to making them superstars. And we're going to go with Panama. I could Listen, every song on this album is a single. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. Drop Dead Legs, Top Jimmy, everything. You could have released any of these songs as a single, and they would have gone, they'd been hits. This is, in my estimation, and I know I get some people will say, Steve, no... This is the most complete Van Halen album since Van Halen 1, and which to me is the best Van Halen album of all time. But this is the one that really allowed them to cross over. Van Halen's 84. So there you go, the rock of 83. And again, it makes me feel old. Guys, it really does. It makes me feel old. Your good friend and host was 11 years old in 83. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what's you know something else too that makes me a lot cooler than your eleven year olds today is at least we rocked, right? We didn't sit around playing video games. So we all we had was the Atari twenty six hundred back then. We're sitting there playing, uh, you know, you know, table tennis with two sticks going back and forth. We had our paddles and we would just hit the little ball back and forth. It was we didn't have anything, but we had each other and we had rock music, and we still have that. And uh, as Tom Kiefer so eloquently penned one day, as long as I have rock and roll, I'm forever young. All right, next segment of the show brought to you as always by Campus Bookmart, a Stark Billion institution. If you're looking for Mississippi State merchandise, look no further than Campus Bookmart. That's where I buy all my own Mississippi State merchandise. Whenever I need to buy a jersey or a gift or anything like that, Campus Bookmart is where I go. I love to go in there and see their smiling faces. They make me feel at home. They'll do the same for you. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web, courtesy of Al Gore's Internet, at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR. That's your promo code. It stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks, And you order less than $75, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net. And mom, think about it. We're going to be outfitting the family in new Mississippi State merchandise for this upcoming football season. Now's the time to make the move. Kids have grown a lot since last year. Dad needs new stuff, too. He won't tell you that, but he wants you to buy him something, too. And guys, let me tell you this. Don't just leave it up to mom. One of my favorite things to do is to buy my wife some Mississippi State merchandise because I know how happy it makes her. 
It makes me happy to give. Take care of mom too. Don't just make her depend on herself. And I know many of you are scared to buy clothing. You can't go wrong with Mississippi State merchandise. Be sure and check it out today at campusbookmart.net. All right, let's talk about Texas A&M, the final home series for us, the final uh, series of the regular season. This is an A&M team. A lot of people felt like, hey, they made to Omaha last year. Uh, they'll do it again this year. They were kind of a sleepy pick to win the SEC. Didn't happen. This is a veteran team, too, that is kind of underachieved. They have some talent. They also have some swing and miss in this lineup. Let's start uh, just two hitters among the regulars that are hitting above 300. Uh, Jack Moss is hitting 344. Number nine, Jack Moss. Uh, has four home runs, 33 RBI on the year. He is a, a doubles machine, though. He is a guy that uh, can put balls in gaps and run a little bit, too. Uh, only grounded into one double play, which also kind of speaks to his foot speed there. Three or four in stolen bases. Hunter Haas is hitting 340. He has played in 51 games, started off 51, missed just one. Eight tanks this year with 32 RBI. Uh, Jace Leviolette. Hitting 295, he's a good weekend away from uh, reaching the 300 mark. Leads the team with 15 home runs and 50 RBI. He is absolutely a run producer and a guy that uh, you've got to be very careful with because on the bases, he also is uh, 15 of 17 stolen bases. And this is an A&M team that will run, which means that Ross Highfield will probably be behind the plate two out of these three games. Jordan Thompson hitting 273, seven tanks, 31 uh, Runs driven in, 8 of 10, stolen bases for him. Trevor Warner is a guy that should probably be a doctor by now. It's like him and him and Cade Beloso both, some of they've been in the league forever. Uh, but Trevor Warner hitting 253, probably down from what people expected. He's missed some time this year. Still has 12 home runs, which is second on the team with 42 RBI. So in the middle of that order, they have some guys that can get things done. He's also a guy that runs the bases 11 of 14 in stolen base attempts. Uh, Ryan Targak hitting just 220, uh, played in 52 games, all 52 games this year, started 51 of those, 52. Eight doubles, two triples, five home runs, 33 ribbies, and a perfect 11 of 11 in stolen base attempts. Austin Boast is a guy that, uh, again, has been around for a while, but hitting just 216. Expected a better year for sure. Uh, four tanks on the year. Does have 10 doubles, which is uh, tied for second on the team. 37 RBI. He, too, will still bases a little bit, just two of three. But, again, this is more about a foundational standard with the Aggie program. They will get out and run the bases. They will stress pitchers. Tab Tracy is a guy that has been, um, you know, a bit of a spot starter at times for them, uh, hitting 326, but uh, not a regular starter. Does not have a home run. Just has a couple of RBIs on the year. Uh, but has had an opportunity in 43 at-bats to to get 14 hits, four of those being doubles. Brent Minich is a guy that, uh, again, a guy they expected a big year from. He's only played in about half the games this year, missed a lot of time, hitting 278. Eight, eight tanks, though, 23 ribbies, and it's been pretty good as of late. As a team, they are 79-92 and 92 of stolen bases. I don't know that we've played anybody that uh, runs the bases with the same proficiency that Texas A&M does. LSU certainly did it. They don't get out and go. A&M will get out and go. They will try to turn a walk or a single into a double. 
with regularity. So that's one of the things. The running game should be a big part of the weekend. We've got to be able to record some outs in a running game. Pitching-wise, interesting. Now, Nathan Debmer has been their dude, expected to be their dude. What's interesting, 13 starts on the year, right, which leads the team. So what would would you expect his record would be? He's 1-3. You wouldn't expect that. Just bullpen, not being able to get the job done. And uh, Detmer, ERA this year of 632. He's a byproduct, too, of the tighter strike zone. Just not getting the uh, the corners anymore. But he was the guy they expected. Not a true Friday night guy, but a guy they expected to have a big year. And he, and he has it. I think, and really, when you look at the the struggles of this A&M team, a lot of it relates to starting pitching. It does. Now, we're going to see Evan Oshin back. We'll see him. Doesn't have a start to his credit, but 20 appearances on the year, but a 7-1 record. So he's done a good job for them out of the bullpen. But he is one of those guys, too, when you look at the rest of them, it's kind of easy to stand out among this group of A&M relievers that have just been okay. Just been okay. Uh, Troy Wansink has a dozen starts on the year with an ERA of 6.18, 39.1 innings of work, and uh, is, a, is a guy that's given up a lot of hits. Teams are hitting 304 against him. He's allowed 48 hits and 39 innings of work, so well above one hit per inning. He's allowed 27 earned runs. He has walked 29 and walked 50, uh, and struck out 58. So we're talking two-to-one ratio. Uh, perfect right there. Uh, so it'll be interesting to kind of see how they, you know, handle the rest of the weekend. I haven't looked at the matchups yet, but we do expect to see those two guys uh, for sure. Uh, Brad Rudis is a guy that has been really good for them as a reliever in SEC play. 15 appearances this year, 4-0 record, 3.57 ERA. But again, a guy that's pitching the contact but giving up a lot of hits. 33 hits and just 22 innings pitched. 19 strikeouts and 13 walks. As a staff, when you get a little deeper here, as a staff, they're giving up over a hit per inning. And then strikeout-to-walk ratio is under 2-1. to 256 walks this year. 515 strikeouts. So you begin to run the numbers here. This is a team that's going to be around the zone. So offensively, we will have a chance to put the ball in play and make some things happen. Uh, As a staff, they have allowed 51 home runs. They've hit 68. So, yeah, it's a plus situation there. You'd expect that for an SEC team. But Nathan Detmer, we talked about him. Uh, Staff high seven home runs allowed this year. Opponents are hitting 258 against him. He also has 11 pitches, which is second on the team, only behind Will Johnston, who is a guy we may see. May see him. Three and three record, 22 appearances on the year, but uh, teams are hitting just 221 against him. But control has been a bit of an issue with him, too. This is a guy that's walked 24. He's also hit five batters. Uh, Brandon Garcia leads the team with six hit by pitches. Not sure we see him, but uh, good chance we will. 21 appearances and a 3.74 ERA. But again, this is a group, there, you look at this team, there aren't any superstars on this team. They're just a really, really solid college baseball team. They don't give you an awful lot defensively uh, as a team, but, uh, you know, 980 fielding percentage, you know. So if you hit the ball on the ground, chances are uh, they're going to make the play. That's important to understand, too. They're pitching the contact and hoping the defense can make plays behind them. Jack Moss leads the team with five errors. And then there's uh, three guys there with four errors and then a host of others with three. So 
Not going to give you a lot defensively, but they are going to enable you to put the ball in play. And they're a team, too, that wants to get on base and then run the bases and stress your your uh, your defense. So, you know, this is a good team, and we're going to have to play well to win. And usually in toss-up games, you look at it and say you favor the home team. I do see this as a toss-up game based on the way that they've played and the way we've played here as of late. Uh, looking at their schedule, I think it's important to kind of go back and look and see how we've done against common opponents. But, you know, they're 30 and 22 overall. That's, I mean, that's not too far removed from where we are. The difference is, is that uh, they have been better in conference while we've been better in non-conference. They're 12 and 15 in the league, and they're 6 and 8 in true road games and then 2 and 1 in neutral games. So a combined record of 8 and 9 in games away from College Station, Texas. So it's not going to be completely out of uh, their comfort level to play on the road. Uh, Bluebell Park there at A&M is probably middle of the pack. They have a good atmosphere there, but from a facility standpoint, it's not nearly what it is around the conference. Uh, but looking at their schedule here, of course, they open up with a three-game sweep of Seattle U. They lose a midweek game to Lamar. Yeah. Then they lose two out of three in a second weekend at home to Portland. And that's when people were like, what in the world is going on with A&M? They bounce back and uh, win 23 nothing in seven innings. They lose to Louisville 14-5 to out in the Shriners Children's Classic in Minute Maid Park. They destroy Rice 13-1. to Do you remember when Rice was good in baseball? Yeah, me too. It's amazing what happens when you remove need-based aid from certain programs. Rice and Tulane were both a part of that. They were following the Vanderbilt model. They quit doing it. Vanderbilt kind of remains the same. Rice and Tulane don't. Uh, they beat Texas Tech 4-2 to in 16 innings, so they have a winning weekend there at the Shriners Classic. Needed that after losing to Portland. Uh, they get a midweek win, and they, they win at Rice. They get Northern Kentucky coming in, our friends in Northern Kentucky. They sweep them. They win at Houston 5-1, and then they get an SEC play. They, they uh, open up at home against LSU. They lose two out of the first three. Of course, Paul Skeens gets them 9 nothing on Friday. They do win the Sunday game 8-6. to They get Rice again for the third time. They knock them off in the uh, walk-ons classic midweek game. <laughs> they go to Tennessee and they're swept 10-4-8-7-9-6. Those games are competitive, but they were still swept. They lose to Texas in a midweek game. You know how much fun that had to be. And then they get two out of three from Ole Miss. And this was kind of the first sign that Ole Miss was in trouble. Uh, Texas State, they beat them 10-9. They go on the road at Auburn and take the series there. At this point, you know, Auburn is not really a great team. They've kind of figured it out here as of late, kind of defined some roles. They get they lose to Texas San Antonio in the midweek, and then they take two out of three from Missouri. They lose the Sunday game 13-5. Uh, to five. What's interesting, the winning team in all three games scored 13 runs, 13-5, 13-1, 13-5. And then to continue our theme of uh, Baker's Dozens, they get Prairie View A&M 13-3 in the midweek game. They didn't go into Lexington – a rarity for a team to go into Lexington this year and win the series, but A&M does. They win two out of three. They lose the Sunday game, 8-1. They lose to Sam Houston in a midweek and then get swept by Arkansas in Fayetteville. The games were competitive, but they, again, just couldn't get the big hits late. They get Tarleton State, 6-5, and then they lose, excuse me, they lose the Friday game against Florida and then take the, the final two. They actually 10-run rule Florida in the second game, and then win a pitcher's duel on Sunday 
They get University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley, 11-1 in a midweek game. And then last weekend, of course, they played Alabama. They win the Friday game 11-5 and then get absolutely shelved in the final two, 12-1 and 11 to nothing. So you really don't know what to expect from this A&M team. It's been very Jekyll and Hyde throughout the year. But the reality of it is this is a quality SEC opponent and a chance for us to, uh, to go get some wins here. And then we'll see what happens. And when we come back after the break, we'll talk about you know, what, what your rooting interest is this weekend. Our final segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Portico. I told you guys, if I was moving to Starkville now, Portico is where I would move. It makes the most sense to me, right? Because it is 1.1 miles away from all things maroon. That's right, 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. You turn off 82 on a 12, the very first right is Pat Station Road. Go through the four-way stop. Portico's right there on the right. You can go give yourself a self-guided tour. And once you do, I know you're going to need more information. So reach out to my friend, your friend, a friend of Mississippi State, Brooks Bryan, at 601-416-8075. Again, at 601-416-8075. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home, and really anything in between. If you need a custom build, they can accommodate you with that. Reach out, let them know what you need. Phase one's completely sold out. Phase two, some houses still available. And there are some lots where you can pick out a lot, have a say in your housing plan. And, uh, you know, whether it be your primary residence or your retirement home or your second home or whatever, they've got a plan for you. Make Portico your next move. All right, final segment. Let's talk a little bit about what, you know, what we're looking at here. And, and again, we need to win all three games. Right, I mean that, that's the best option for you, and that's going to be tough to do, right? I mean, South, you know, Texas A&M has been good enough to earn a split just about every weekend, and so sweeping A&M is going to be tough. But we—that's what we, our our objective is to sweep A&M, and then watch the traffic clear around us. If you sweep A&M, all right, that gives you a total of eleven wins in the SEC. All right, if Missouri wins one then Missouri's tied with us. If Missouri wins two, they win the series against Auburn, then they're going to make the field. If Georgia wins two, they're going to make the field. So what what needs to happen is we have got to be two games better than either Missouri or Georgia. So we need to sweep and need them to get swept. We don't have to have them get swept, right? If If they win one of three, then we end up in a tiebreaker. But we could win it outright and not depend on any tiebreakers by sweeping and then hoping Missouri and Georgia are swept. That is a tall ask right there. Again, Missouri, probably the most likely to get swept. 1-11 on the SEC road against a red-hot Auburn team. I think Auburn can sweep them. LSU, we know what the, the talent they have. We also know how they played the last two weekends. Against a Georgia team, it's battling to get in there too. And, and in many respects, probably battling for Scott Strickland's job. I don't know if it's that emergent yet. But there are a lot of people at the University of Georgia that want to be good at baseball. And they're not. And Scott Strickland's always had good pitchers. He put guys in the pros, but they don't routinely make the tournament. And now you're facing a situation of missing Hoover. We'll see what happens. So in, in the event that LSU and Auburn both sweep... State's in great shape. And then Georgia and Missouri end up in a tie when Missouri wins the series against Georgia. Last weekend, they sweep them. So then all of a sudden, Missouri's in, Georgia and Ole Miss are out. 
That's how that would play out. Now, if you get into a three-way tie, it gets very convoluted, right? And again, I haven't done the math because all of it is based on your common opponents. The highest-seeded common opponent, right? Well, right now, that's Arkansas. Well, it's swept Mississippi State. And so that wouldn't be good for us. And again, if LSU ends up being the highest common opponent, let's say we end up in a tie with Georgia, in order for us to do that, Georgia would have to lose the series. Well, we won the series against LSU, so we'd be in. And so I say that because I'm not going to give you a lot of information today other than give you the information that the information is still evolving. If we end up in a tie with Missouri, and Arkansas, of course, is the top-rated opponent, then we're in trouble because Missouri won a game against Arkansas. So that's how it works. So the reality of it is we got to win, and it's going to kind of be a day-to-day deal. Every single day, things are going to change. Because what happens, you know, when you begin to think about this, uh, this Florida series, right? You know, we didn't play Florida, so that's not a tiebreaker for us. But it could be for Missouri and Georgia because they both played that. So you got to run through here and do all the numbers here. But the reality of it is, is, you know, Tennessee won't be the top-rated opponent. South Carolina, we'd love for them to be. In order for that to happen, though, they're going to have to sweep and then hope that Florida is swept and that Vanderbilt uh, doesn't end up uh, ahead of them. And right now, South Carolina, three games out of first and then two games out of second. So even though State won and won against South Carolina, I think that the, the prospects of South Carolina rising to the top of the East here in the final weekend is not very good. It's not nor it is for Kentucky. But again, it's a very dynamic situation. It's going to change day to day. It is. And until all the games are played, we don't know. Because it's not just our games and Georgia's games and Missouri games that impact us. In the event we end in a tie, it could be the Arkansas series that that impacts us. It could be LSU and certainly Florida. Uh, Vanderbilt, there's there's a lot to this. And so anybody that says, hey, this is exactly how it's going to happen, they don't know yet. None of us do. So I share that with you. If State can sweep, if State can sweep and LSU and Auburn sweep, State is in without any any question whatsoever, period. There's no tiebreaker required. In the event State ends up in a tiebreaker with Georgia, that's probably more favorable, uh, projected how the weekend's going to go. Being a tie with Missouri... Right now, uh, they would win the current tiebreakers. But again, it's feather dynamic, so it changes. So I, I just want to put that out there because a lot of people are kind of authoritatively speaking about we could never win a tiebreaker against Missouri or Georgia. That is simply not true. We're more likely to win one against Georgia. But you know, the bottom line is it's going to depend on how these other races are impacted. Uh, you know, Florida, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, LSU. All that matters because any of those four teams could win the SEC. And states played three of those four teams. So it's important to understand that aspect of it. Every game is going to matter down the stretch. We're going to be scoreboard watching all weekend. And so if you're on the fence about going to Dirty Noble Field this weekend, even though I'm not going to be there, it's still going to be great. The team needs you. There's some Bulldogs be playing their final game ever at Dirty Noble Field. And we only get to do this, you know, a few months out of the year. So if you're on the fence about going, let me encourage you to go make the trip. It's worth the time and effort. 
and go cheer the Bulldogs on to victory. And then we'll get together on Monday and we'll kind of figure out where things stand. Either we're going to be completely done with baseball or we're going to be getting ready to go to Hoover as a 12 seed. But there's a lot of things that are going to happen between now and then. If you haven't done so, go to dogpilotbook.com and you can relive the magic of Mississippi State's national championship season. And remember, I, I wrote, I, I kept every interview and uh, so that you get the quotes from the players as the games happened, as the games went final. Rather than some revisionist history, everything is kind of in real time. It's important to understand that. That's how the book was written. And then, of course, you can get uh, Alpha Dogs and Flim Flam. If you're looking for Stark Villains, you're going to have to find it through a bookstore because uh, the publisher are completely out of them. Bloom's Voliander will also soon be out of print. And so soon, I've written five books, but uh, pretty soon, three of the five will not be available for purchase, at least for a while. So if you want to complete your, compl- your, your collection, you need to do it now. Bloom's Voliander, available through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksAmillion.com, or your local bookstore. Stark Villains gear always available at StarkVillains.com. And if you're not a member of JeansPage.com, what are you doing? We are the Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports. Very happy to be a part of that family. Uh, The biggest Mississippi State media entity of all time. And nobody does a better job covering the Bulldogs than our fine crew over at JeansPage.com. Come by and check us out. Today, you'll be glad you did. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.